welcome back to the Stay Informed podcast. I'm Tom. And I'm Jessica. Today, we're talking about financial regulators, so exciting, and understanding of AI and how to focus them narrowly on the risk. Tom, since you have so much background with regulatory items and the CFPB, can you tell us about some of those recent pronouncements we've heard? Yeah, yeah thank you, Jessica. And, and I think what we're seeing right now are a lot of warning sounds and warning calls from regulators. You know, Director Chopra, the head of the CFPB, has talked about unchecked AI, almost as if it's like a disease or a wildfire. There was a recent announcement from the DOJ, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, the Federal Trade Commission, and the CFPB to say that, you know, companies who are using AI, don't forget there are existing laws on the books that still apply, whether it's uh, UDAP or ECOA. Uh, and in fact, the CFPB itself is ramping up its analytics teams to find fair lending violations related to AI. So there's just a lot of sort of early um, worry and concern being expressed by regulators. Why are the regulators calling it unchecked AI if there's already you know regulatory items on the books? Is there something that we can be focusing on? No, I, and I think what's happening here a little bit is that a lot of the people who are uh, in uh, power today, who are regulating today, are thinking back to the internet of the early 90s, the wild west of um, the internet where people said, hey, let's let the internet grow free and strong. Let's not regulate it. And what's happened is some of these people don't really like the outcome of that laissez-faire approach to regulation and they don't want it to happen a second time. So it's both on conservatives and progressives. You know, they're saying we now have a situation where there's a couple companies that have a lot of power, uh, there's a lot of negative outcomes on the internet, and we just don't want that to happen again. Right. Speaking of kind of, um, you know, learning from the past and lessons learned, um, you know, whenever the internet was up and coming and we thought that um, everything was just going to, you know, the clock strike 12 at, you know, the 2000s and everything was going to stop working. Um, is there any kind of concept around that as well for AI in regards to regulatory items? That's an interesting point. I mean, I think people, the thing that's really causing concern right now and struggles for regulators right now is they don't know what to do. Just like in the early 90s, the uh, people weren't sure how to regulate the internet, people aren't sure how to regulate generative AI. A lot of folks don't quite understand it. Even the folks who understand it don't know how much it's going to grow. Another thing that's really fascinating about um, AI is that it's allowing people in a much smaller size to innovate. So you have companies like Anthropic, who have been around for a year or two, are now worth $80 billion. The ability to create a huge company with a small number of people, the ability to progress is really multiplied exponentially, and it just is making it hard for regulators to know what to do. And what I think you'll, you're seeing right now from regulators is a lot of commissions, a lot of uh, studies, people trying to cobble bills, but um, even though they want to be uh, progressive and proactive, it's hard for them to figure out what to do. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I know that when new technologies come up and they are, you know, changing the landscape so significantly like AI, sometimes we tend to swing the pendulum too far to the right, right, where you start creating just laws and laws just to feel like there is some regulatory um, items in place. But sometimes, like you said, it could really hurt the market more versus help it. Um, what do you think about that? I think it's a really excellent point. And I think the place we're going to see that most directly is at the state level. Uh, I found it quite interesting that there are now actually a law in the state of Georgia that says you cannot have an eye exam that is purely automated. You need to have some human being in the loop. 
So what that suggests is that there are optometrists and other uh, eye practitioners who are worried about their jobs and they're creating sort of defenses around it. Um, one of the Dakotas is a law that says that AI is not a person. So you're going to see a lot of sort of parochial laws that people are trying to create to react to some of the that is happening so fast. So I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, to that point, I mean, we've heard about the writer strike and not utilizing AI within, um, you know, writing narratives and then also, um, you know, how do we use it for homework and um, education? And so I think there is starting to be some guidelines and some weariness around that. Um, to that point, you know, I was also seeing an email around um, AI and how to utilize AI efficiently as well as accurately and without, um, you know, copyright infringement on your resume. Um, and really thinking onto that aspect, I think we want to showcase the best of our business just like we want to on a resume. How do you ensure that we are being, um, you know, good stewards of AI from a business perspective um, until the, the regulatory items catch up? You know, I, I think part of the thing is trust but verify. Uh, there are now already emerging some best practices. So for example, if you're making a high stakes decision, one of the things you really have to be in charge of is making sure that your AI or generative AI platform isn't overwhelmed with hallucinations. And how do you do that? You have to test, you have to do testing, you know, on a periodic basis. Um, and you have to probably do it, you know, not once or twice, but probably monthly or, or semi-weekly. Uh, the other thing I think is important to be aware of things like bias, right? To make sure that when you're evaluating your product, that it doesn't have a impact on certain populations versus others. There's a study that showed that uh, the pictures being generated by generative AI are even more biased than the bias we see in the environment. So, for example, if 49% of women are doctors, generative AI photos might only have 25% of the photos being doctors. And so we just have to really be mindful of underlying biases in the technology. Yeah, I think that's great insight. And as a woman and a woman of color, I think um, in an underrepresented organization um, in auto and a landscape there, I think it's really important that we focus on those items because one, um, you know, I want to make sure that we see women around um, there in those perspectives, but also um, really great to understand because it's so interesting to see the AI in, in photos and what you want to do. And I think there's so many cool trends, but then also being very responsible with that um, is important. So thank you. And I'd also add to the other thing that folks can think about is that generative AI is a power or performance enhancer. If you're generating content, it can do it much faster. Um, it is also really great at summarizing information. So you have large volumes of documents that can do summaries. I know there's now, for example, uh, text meeting summary technologies that you can use and that can take notes. It's great at data mining and it's really a fantastic creative aid. So I think there's a lot of sort of generative capabilities for these technologies that people can leverage. You just have to be really careful about the high stakes decisions. Yeah, I can really talk to that today because, um, you know, we started utilizing AI to help us with note takings. Um, and of course, you know, we need to make sure that we're being good stewards of privacy and compliance and all the legal items um, and making sure that, you know, there's automatic um, message taking, sending it out, making sure that we're not getting out any NPPI information. So um, definitely understanding that there is a good priority. And then how does that appear from a customer's perspective? Um, even if it's just note taking, it just kind of feels like, hey, who's in the meeting? 
Um, so sometimes when I join, it says, hey, there's Jessica's AI bot and she's going to be helping take notes. And I have gotten so many questions where people are like, what is that? Um, is your bot here? Like, <laughs> um, and I think there is some suspicions there. So um, I've actually turned it off for other than only internal meetings, just because I want to make sure that people are feeling comfortable. Um, and even if you tell them ahead of time that, hey, that's what this is for, um, I think there's still some hesitation. This raises uh, a couple of questions for me for you, Jessica. You know, you're interacting with clients all the time and you're hearing what they're working on. What's your sort of sense when you're talking to folks across the industry about their use of AI and their concerns from a regulatory or from a compliance perspective? Are people afraid to act or are people diving with both feet and saying, hey, I can't be left behind? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a mix. I think uh, most market industries, they want to be the cool, interesting one with like digital transformation and all the buzzwords. But I think then also, especially from a highly regulatory environment like banking or financial services, you want to make sure that whatever you're putting out into the public is very much um, associated to your risk and your compliance perspective, but also that your customers are um, feeling confident in your decisions. What I mean is that you really have to to think about um, from that marketing perspective, right? Are customers always thinking that there's gonna be a privacy breach or do I have to feel uncomfortable because I'm banking with so-and-so because they're doing so many AI inventions that um, you don't know where your data is going. So I think there's a lot of mix of where you wanna have um, better performance, but you also want to regulate um, how that is appearing to your market. You know, one thing that you were thinking about when you said risk sort of struck me is, you know, what's going on globally with, with respect to AI regulation. There's something called the EU AI Act, which is the European Union's effort to regulate AI. And they've come up with a really interesting um, framework there where they have high risk AI activities, medium risk AI activities and others. And so the way that at least our counterparts overseas are looking at it is let's figure out which I, you know, AI activities are, we're okay with and which ones we should really worry about. And I suspect that's some sort of risk-based approach to um, generative AI and other AI is likely what we're gonna see in the US. Um, and it seems like not only a good practice for uh, regulators, but it's a good practice for business, really understand the risks associated with what you're doing and uh, be mindful of it. Yeah, I mean, I think with my background in operations, I love to hear about good frameworks. And it's definitely uh, reminds me about model governance, model validations. You know, a couple of years ago, people were very uncomfortable making any kind of credit decisions or any decisions based on models or algorithm. We really needed to be rules-based decisions. And when we started talking about any kind of interpretation of algorithms, everybody started getting a little uncomfortable. But when we started getting frameworks in place and having audits and understanding what that guidelines were, um, and how to associate risk to those models. I think it became a lot more prevalent as well as understanding um, where the, those risks are associated to it. So I think having a great framework and having those um, aspects done by a government entity where they can be uh, copied and also you know, recreated is really important for us. And I think you also make a great point there about frameworks because one thing I've heard from some of the leaders in AI research is uh, instead of building rules for generative AI, they're building principles. There's something called constitutional AI. You know, when you think of a constitution, you think of the U.S. Constitution and various rights. And they're thinking now about building um, generative AI models with constitutions built into them. It's kind of a weird thing. It's almost going back to Isaac Asimov in 1950, where you say, you know, I, the three laws of robotics, um, which is a little bit of a nerdy science fiction thing for me here, I know. But 
Uh, I think it is interesting that, you know, at some point principles and how you, what you, what you stand for and how you build your systems is, you know, something you can actually write in. So, and I know from informed perspective, you know, we are very mindful of, you know, the importance of protecting consumers and the interests of our customers. Um, and so, you know, it's important when you're building these systems to really understand what you stand for. Yeah. That's so funny. I'm giggling over here because you're thinking about, you know, such important perspectives and, you know, going back to the 1950s and constitutional law. And whenever you said principles and conscious for robots, I immediately thought of iRobots and Will Smith <laughs> and the three rules of the robots that uh, they cannot harm humans. So exactly. that's exactly right. There you go. Perspective. There you go. <laughs> uh, really great. So thank you, Tom. I really appreciate it. Well, I think on that, um, on before the robots take over this conversation, maybe this is a good time to wrap up. So I'll thank you so much for joining on this uh, conversation about regulation and AI. And I'm Tom. And I'm Jessica. Until then, stay informed.